Downloads of the show are available at Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app. Hey kids, you are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, March 6, 2018. The countdown to spring has begun, and I thought I would break out one of my summer songs. Yeah, you know, those songs, the ones I remember from my well-spent youth. But this one has a lot more meat to it than most summer songs, which you'll hear in about a second or two. Woohoo! It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Got a job, learn to be a street sweeper. I dance to the beat, 
jump for my feet, wear a shirt and tie, and run with the creeps. Cause it's all about money, ain't a damn thing funny. You got to have a con in this land of milk and honey. They pushed that girl in front of the train, took her to the doctor, sold her arm on the game. Stabbed that man right in his heart. Gave him a transplant for a brand new start. I can't walk through the park cause it's crazy after dark. Keep my hand on my gun cause they got me on the run. I feel like an outlaw, broke my last glass jaw. Hear them say, you want some more living on a seesaw. Don't push me cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. Say what? It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. A child is born with no state of mind, blind to the ways of mankind. God is smiling on you, but he's frowning too, because only God knows what you'll go through. You'll grow in the ghetto, living second rate, and your eyes will sing a song of deep hate. The places you play and where you stay looks like one great big alleyway. You'll admire all the number book takers, thugs, pimps, and pushers, and the big money makers. Driving big cars, spending 20s and 10s, and you want to grow up to be just like them. <laughs> Smugglers, scramblers, Burglars, gamblers, pickpocket peddlers, even panhandlers. You say, I'm cool, I'm no fool, but then you wind up dropping out of high school. Now you're unemployed, all non-void, walking around like your pretty boy Floyd. Turn stick up, kid, but look what you done did. Got sent up for an eight-year bid. Now your manhood is took and you're a make tag. Spend the next two years as an undercover fag being used in the field. Served like hell to one day you was found hung dead in the cell. It was plain to see that your life was lost. You was cold and your body swung back and forth. But now your eyes sing the sad, sad song of how you live so fast and die so young. So don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. <laughs> It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. <laughs> Yo, Mel, you see that girl, man? Yeah, man. Yo, that sound like cowboy, man. And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, including Melly Mel and Duke Boutte from the 1982 album also called The Message. The Message, by the way, is reportedly, yes, and I looked this up. I spent seconds looking this up on Wikipedia, so don't hate me if it's wrong. Or you can if you want to. Just, you know what, don't hate me. Just write to Fish Out of Agua at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. <laughs> well, anyway, going back, uh, the message is reportedly the first hip-hop song whose words were social commentary rather than party raps and booty stuff. Yeah, don't push me because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. Boy, that song was fresh, fat, dope, the bomb, and the shizzle back in the day. Yep, the shizzle. <laughs> Woo, 
slang has changed, kids, but, but Fish Out of Agua hasn't. Anyway, we are going to um, play a song right now that our guest artist for this week handpicked for this episode, and this song has a message of a different sort.
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was jazz drummer Max Roach with Garvey's Ghost from the Percussion Bittersweet album back in 1961. Yeah, a sprinkle of years ago. And an interesting fact about this song is that Max Max Roach wrote this song for Marcus Garvey, who was a civil rights activist and leader in the early part of the 20th century. He passed in 1940 and was known for a lot of sayings, one of which is this, a people without the knowledge of their past history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. And while you reflect on that a little bit, get ready, kids, because now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Whoa, whoa. Everybody. Welcome to Fish Out of Agua's Guest Artist of the Week! <laughs> Woohoo! Every week I will interview a new <laughs> artist, and every week I sit down with one of my favorite people in the whole world. Yes, we know. Everybody's, Everybody's Michelle's favorite. favorite. <laughs> yes, because it's true. And today I'm sitting across the table from a man whose name became an acronym that is in Grained into my memory forever, so soon, the sound of something out of nothing. Please welcome the fish out of agua, James So Soon Gant. What's up, Michelle? Thank you so much for having me. Oh, please. This is like such a coup. I'm so happy that, that we ended up performing at the same gig uh, a couple of months ago. And then I was like, no, must have him on the show. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. Well, this, that's not the first time that we performed together. Why Absolutely. don't we uh, tell the fish out of agua listeners how we met? Indeed. So um, there was an amazing woman uh, named Bridget Bartolini, who has been for a few years now doing a series called Five Borough Storytellers. Yes, Five Borough Story Project. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. And At least five years. Yeah, and so um, a, a former uh, colleague of mine introduced me to Bridget because she was looking for storytellers from Queens. Oh, cool. And um, we exchanged information. She invited me out to, I think it was at Long Island City, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And you and I were on the same bill. I, I think... I don't remember exactly what I did, but it was definitely a, I'm pretty sure it was a hybrid performance slash story. Yes, it was like so, a rap story yeah. or a story rap, yeah, acapella. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And the name of that show was called I'm Talking Here. <laughs> yes. And I, and I hosted it, mm-hmm. and there were like three or four people on the bill. I think yep. Cambry Cruz was on the bill besides you. I think that name sounds familiar. There was a gentleman named Ed something or other. I can't think of his name, but he was a sanitation guy, and yep. he was from Rockaway, mm-hmm. and he told a story about Hurricane Sandy. Mm-hmm. Yes, and yes. Um, yeah. It was a great show. Yeah, indeed. Wow. A lot has happened in five A lot years. has happened. Well, <laughs> let, 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 well, I'm sure a lot has happened in your life before 2013, too. Absolutely. So let's get to it. Um, are you a native New Yorker, James? I am. Born and raised Jamaica, Queens. Jamaica. Yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. There's a music history in Jamaica. Jazz is um, jazz musicians, fluid, um, hip-hop music history yeah. as well. And also old old school punk. But there's another really popular group. I feel like a fool for not remembering, but they're from Forest Hills. Yeah, the Ramones. The Ramones. Thank the you. The Ramones That's from Forest Hills. I think Lou Reed was from mm-hmm. Forest Hills. Mm-hmm. Also, mm-hmm. yeah, Queen uh, Cindy Lauper is, yes, is, is from Queens. Yes, I just found that out recently for yeah. some reason. Tony Bennett is from Queens. Tony Bennett, I know. Yeah, mm-hmm. so there's Indeed. a whole music legacy Absolutely. from Queens. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Okay, so did you come from a, a musical or performance-oriented family? Um, it depends on who's telling the story. So my mom likes to talk a lot about how she really wanted to be a performer growing up. She was in dance very briefly growing up. And then kind of fast forward to me being an only child, primarily raised by my mother and grandmother. Um, my mom likes to think, reminisce a lot about how when I was um, young, right before teens, how every once in a, in a while we would like watch music videos and wanna, and she'd want to like put together mini performances in our living room for either just the two of us or for my grandmother sometimes. And so she, I don't personally have that trajectory, but it's possible that that kind of like uh, inspired me without me even realizing it. That is so cool. <laughs> so, so you guys put on like little mini shows for your grandma? Yeah. We do like Remember the Time by Michael Jackson. Oh my God. How detail. old were you? You like single digits? Probably like, like yeah, seven, nine, eight, nine. Ten. Yeah, something oh like that. Oh my God, that's yeah. so cool. She <laughs> talked me into it. I wasn't that, I wasn't an outgoing kind of guy. So she talked me into a lot of that stuff. So. <laughs> but it was fun. You did it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, great you, memories. You, you had to have fun doing it. Yeah. Otherwise, you would. You've been like, no, nah, ma, leave me alone. Leave me alone. <laughs> I don't think that was an option. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when, at what age did you decide to try to pursue music? Did was it? Were you musical in like high school? Did you go to a music high school no, or a regular so that, high school? No, you know that's an interesting question um, that I do like to talk about a lot because again, because I was an one because I was an only child and two because I was really sheltered. I spent a lot of time in my bedroom listening to Hot ninety seven right when they started um, their primarily hip hop and R and B programming, and um, around like fourteen, I started kind of actually trying to mimic what I was hearing on the mm. radio, and then I think I wrote my first rap at fourteen. Um, actually, so going back to junior high school, I went to a private junior high school in eighth grade, and um, we had like a freestyle competition in music class, which was really now, This was in the weird. 90s? Um, yeah, in the 90s. Hmm. So, yeah. Um, and none of my friends knew that I was dabbling with uh, hip-hop or whatever, so long story short, over the series of a couple of weeks in class, I won the freestyle competition. Um, oh, cool. And then in 10th grade... I wrote my first rap, and we had a music project in um, music class where we had to identify a song, um, identify the musical elements of a song based on the um, time period. And I think that I was assigned the 90s as the time period, and so I asked the teacher if I could actually do my own song. So wow. I used my little boombox to record it. It sounded terrible, um, but I recorded it. The song's called Supreme Lyricism. And this was my first song that I had um, written. And then from there, I just kind of, wow. I didn't have performance opportunities that much until college in 2000. But I still dabbled. And I was in a group wow. in high school. We did a lot of recording, you know, with a little eight-track analog recorder. Oh, my God, eight-track. Yeah. But um, you said you were sheltered. Why, yeah. why do you say you were sheltered? Did you have, like, um, ailments, like asthma or something no, as a no, child? No, 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 just or? because being black in Jamaica, Queens, being a black male in Jamaica, Queens, by a mom who, you know, I didn't, uh, my stepfather... Um, came into our lives when I was uh, like 13. Mm -hmm. But before that, it was like I said, my mom, my grandmother raising me. And so my mom just didn't want me to get caught in trouble. She was just a worried black mom. And also, one of the things I know about my mom is that she did a lot of watching news. And so that, for me, what I realize as an adult now is that builds paranoia. Yes. If you're not mindful. Yes. And I think that a lot of that existed, you know. Um, and I don't have any regrets in hindsight. Um, we're talking about trajectory. And right. so I recognize the ways in which it, you know, things could have been different, not necessarily better, but different. Right. But certainly 
I, I, I haven't turned out into a bad person. No, I from don't think it. Like, so. I didn't you... rebel. I was too afraid to rebel. Wow. So I get it. Wow, so they were strict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah wow, yeah, wow, yeah. wow. Yeah. What I really enjoyed about that uh, sheltered ex existence was I spent a lot of time making my own mixtapes from the radio. So this was like the highlight of my teenage years, and I just have Hot 97 on making mixtapes. I, wow. I, um, I had a, I think I amassed a collection of maybe somewhere between 100 and 200 mixtapes. Wow, do you still uh, have them? No, I lost it in storage, not paying my bill on time. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it's, it's depressing. Oh, that, it's none, depressing. not one of them exists? I have maybe one, maybe wow. one. So. There's another show on Radio Free Brooklyn um, about mixtapes. It's, mm. it's it's called Lost and Rewound by a man that. named Elan Denzinger. That's a maybe dope if concept. you could if you could find that tape, maybe Elon, I'm gonna contact you. <laughs> maybe you could have this man on the show. He is dope. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of what started, and then just like from there, I was like I said, I started dabbling. Um, into writing, but it was it, a lot of that was an experience on my own until like 11th grade when I met my friend who ultimately purchased the 8-track recorder and then we slowly started building as a group consisting of friends from junior high school, friends from high school, and um, like I said, we never performed, but we recorded a lot of music, so wow, so that's uh, kind of where it started. Did you go to college? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where? I started at Hunter. I was in and out for like nine years. I didn't finish. I just graduated from um, a small school in Vermont called Goddard College. A 15-year journey on and off hey, that you know, I have no regrets on. Um, it but takes as long as it takes. Absolutely. Did you change your major all the time? Or did you, was no, it like finance and stuff? Like not even. It was um, lack of focus. Um, mm. I, um, I was not... Um, the high school I went to didn't really prepare me for the college no, experience. No, mine either. Um, no, listen, a lot of high schools in the boroughs yeah, don't prepare you yeah, for jack. Exactly. So, now again, being sheltered from Jamaica, Queens, at this point in my life, entering college 17 years old in 2000, I, um, this was going to be my first time traveling back and forth to and from the city on my own. Wow, prior at 17? Yeah, like, Damn. I, but prior I was to that, I was traveling. I was <laughs> <laughs> prior to that, the extent of my, the, the furthest distances I was traveling on my own would probably be to Queen Center Mall from mm. 179th, because where my building is is an old um, Trump, not Donald, but the father, yeah, um, old Trump um, building. But this would be my first time traveling to the city on my own. So, one, that experience in itself, slash going into this environment where for the first time, Blacks were a minority, but at the same time, there was so much diversity. And so, like, quickly, my my um, group of friends ballooned to, like, 15 people or whatever. And it was, like, queer folks, um, white folks, black folks, you know, folks from different boroughs besides Queens. And that in itself was a very, um, like I said, informal um, educational experience for me, being around diverse folks like that. In that same group, we had, um, like, an orientation seminar class that we had to go to once a week. It was taught by a black man who worked in the career ed office, but also was a professor in the Africana Studies Department. He comes to me towards the end of the semester and says, listen, when you're applying for classes, I want you to consider um, taking my Intro to Black Politics class. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I apply, I, I registered for Intro to Black Politics for spring of 01, was in his class, and basically what he wanted to do is, uh, he was basically finding young black men and trying to mentor them. And I, prior to this, I had no knowledge of my history as a black person in this country other than Martin Luther King, 
Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, the shit that you would see on those little, you know, things in the elementary school classes during like Black History Month, whatever, whatever, and slavery, of course. And I and I learned so much in that class about the history of black people and the, the legacy of Africa. And it wasn't just slavery. It was something that existed way before legacy um, before slavery. And that was such a mind shifting, mind blowing experience. And then the other thing added to that experience that was really informative was one day in class, he goes, how many of you um, uh, know what socioeconomic class you're in? And a couple of people raised their hand and, you know, it turned into this conversation about, you know, socioeconomic class. And it was the first time I actually thought I'd been, you know, getting raised by my mom and my grandmother all this time and never had to worry about that kind of stuff. And then I started to think about it. And then I just thought about where I'm from and what's around me and, and that thinking about that, recognizing that we were probably somewhere around working middle class um, and understanding what that means to be in Jamaica, Queens, and knowing in hindsight that I, was, I had friends that might have been more like working class, more poor, more middle class, you know, so on and so forth. That was a really mind-blowing experience, self-reflective experience. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. But <laughs> that's what art does, man. Absolutely. Like, you know, we, like artists have like, it, it's, like we're, it's like we're part of the same tribe. Mm -hmm. it's like, Absolutely. It's, it's like, I, I believe that there's like an artist tribe, you know, like that we... It's unspoken, but it's there. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so we're going to get back now to the all the recordings that you did mm -hmm. when you were like in high school. I've been in four groups now in my life. So this is your first group first we're talking group's about. First name is Queen's And you're Official. like 17 or 18? Um, 16, 16. 15, 16, okay. 17. Okay. So I graduated high school at 17. Oh. Um, but yeah, Queen's Official, nine-member group comprised, yeah, <laughs> just... Uh, nine members? Wow. Yeah, we didn't know how it was like Wu-Tang. Like, we, uh, people constantly made that joke. Like, y'all like a Wu-Tang clan. Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, well, wow. So, and like, and you guys must have been like super motivated because to get three people to decide yeah, on what yeah, to do, but to yeah. get nine yeah. teenagers yeah, that, right. may, that may have girlfriends yep. or jobs mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or other things that they need to do. Yeah, you it know? was definitely a thing of motivating each other. And what made it even more difficult in a sense is that we had people from three different schools. And so, like, I will say this, and this is probably the first time I've ever said this in an interview, um, I was essentially the connector to the group. I could see that. And, but, I could see uh, but that. I'm, I, but mind you, I'm a very kind of to myself, not to myself, but quiet kind of guy. But I just happened to make the connections. And so the um, first place we were recording out of was my high school friend that we became best friends in 11th grade. So sorry, it was he and I. And then my junior high school best friend was going to St. John's Prep. And he, had, I told him that, yo, me and a friend of mine are doing music, whatever, whatever. And he was like, yeah, I got some peoples at my school that are also rappers. So we met. We thought they were dope. They thought we were dope. So then that adds now, I think, three people to the group. Um, meanwhile, another kid that I went to junior high school with, he was a grade under me, but he also was in my same high school, on the same building, but I was in a magnet school. So there was like four schools in mm -hmm. one. You know yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. I know what those are like. Um, before every school became compartmentalized now. And um, so he was also, he and I were knew about each other from junior high school, but started he started coming to... Um, my friend from my other high school friend's um, place, and we were recording together. So now that's like six. And then my elementary school best friend got wind of it. And so he, him, him along with three of his homeboys from his high school 
kind of joined in as well. So that's kind of how it all formulated. That's cool. Yeah, oh my yeah. God, I love hearing stories so, like that. Press up a CD, didn't do any performances. We maybe sold a few, gave out a bunch, you know. When when was the first time that you performed? Um, So there was around maybe September. Um, that doesn't mean my bad. Okay, no, okay. <laughs> um, around September of freshman year, maybe early October, um, they the student government did like an annual street fair. And that's when all the student organizations would set up tables to recruit. At Hunter? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They would block off um, 68th Street between Park and Lexington, uh, have food, you know, set up tables, all that good stuff. And um, I saw the Hip Hop Advocates Club. Um, and they were about, you know, bringing folks together to have conversations around hip hop. Um, have performances, so on and so forth. And um, at, the, at the same time, they I think they sponsored like a mini open mic during the street fair. So they had a stage set up, and, I, and that was the first time I had performed on a stage at college. And then I got involved in Hip Hop Advocates, eventually became an officer for sophomore year. Um, and so I performed at the events we did, but also other student organizations and student, gov student government um, facilitated events that had open mics I would start going to. Wow. And then eventually through being in the Hip Hop Advocates, um, which shared a room with a larger organization, African Students Union, is where I met um, folks who would eventually f come together to formulate the second group I was a part of. How did you feel about the live performing at the beginning? Well, you Nervous. Were, yeah? Nervous. And, and what broke the nerves? Knowing that I had an opportunity to do what I was becoming quickly becoming passionate about. Yeah. Something I'd want We didn't have the venues um, or spaces in high school to do it. Do you so. still get nervous? Yes. Yes. I do. Me too. Me too. I right before, I mean, I'm fine until five minutes before I'm going. Because I, I figure if I'm not nervous, then it doesn't mean anything to me. That's what I'm learning. I'm not learning, but that's what I've learned about myself. I get nervous um, when I don't know like what's happening. Like, when's the show starting? How many people are going before me? Those are the things that kind of make me nervous. If I'm trying a new song that I haven't performed or that I don't perform as frequent. Those are the things that make me nervous. But then usually by the time I hit the stage, it's like an on switch. Yeah. It's you know like, what I mean? It's like all the energy that's in you yeah. goes out into yeah. the mic and out into the audience. Yep. And then you're fine. I can yep. be like, mm-hmm. But like two seconds before, yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I still get nervous. So, wow. And like wow. you said, it's, it's, it's a reminder that it still means something to yes, me. Yes, absolutely. And I think where the turning point was getting to this conversation around legacy, the turning point was in 05 when my grandmother passed away. She was living in Long Island, Babylon, Long Island at the time. She was sick for a few years um, with a condition called sarcoidosis, which is a lung condition. Basically, she was living for years with a hole in her um, lung, one of her oh, lungs. Man. And so that obviously makes it difficult for breathing. And she just kind of got increasingly sick and then passed away. But before she passed away, um, she was supposed to move into the building that I was living in with my mom and my stepfather. And um, her and my mom had discussed before her passing that if anything happened to her while she lived in that apartment, that I would essentially inherit it, the thing, the furniture in it, and then just continue to pay out rent. She had left the life insurance policy, part in my mom's name, part in my name, and that was enough to pay rent. She never moved in. She actually passed away one month before, I'd say probably maybe even a week before um, the lease started. I tried to go back to school that um, September of 05, but I quickly, after two weeks, just realized I didn't have the focus because I still wasn't fully over losing my grandmother. And I was just going around. That was an opportunity to really start going around and performing more and, you know, kind of focusing on music and just kind of like 
shifting and thinking about what I wanted to do in life. And so that happened for a year. Long story short, ran out of money, and I had to find a job and a new place to live. And so 06, I moved in with a best friend for about a year, and um, another best friend got me a job at AT&T, and I worked that till 2010. I was like, I worked a lot of little small jobs in between in the school. I had worked at a Pilates studio doing front desk, reception and stuff. I had done a lot you of You do Pilates? I, no, not anymore, but I, I did take a couple of lessons oh, when I worked at I the studio. I do Pilates. It's great. It's awesome. It's great. For it's... core, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. It's expensive, though. Yeah, <laughs> so... well, you, you gotta just take a few classes and then memorize it and do it at <laughs> Dude, home. I, That's one, what I the do. one exercise I remember is the hundreds. Yes, I do, I, I do, I do the hundred almost every morning. Oh, my God, I can't believe you have Pilates. <laughs> so, well, and you were recording during this whole time I was and, doing and a releasing lot more recording music? and performing, yeah. So yeah. how were you releasing music? Um, through a lot of group stuff. Um, my first album, solo album, didn't come out until 2010. I had recorded an entire album um, from like 04 to 06. And at the time, my cousin was my manager, and he felt like the production, for the listeners who are not familiar, because there's so many ways that you can define production, but for... Um, music in hip-hop in particular, we'll say it's the background music, mm. um, the beats. Yeah. And so my cousin felt that the beat, that my lyrics outshined the beats, and he felt like it wasn't a good idea to release it. So I spent years writing, recording, putting this project together, and we shelved it, whatever, whatever. Wow. And then I kind of got into another group. Um, I was already in another group at that time. Um, and so we were doing a lot of performing, recording. We put out a project together. We pressed, we pressed up physical CDs because um, that was still a thing back then. But yeah, that was where a lot of um, my performance opportunities came about just through my group. Did you guys um, use to tour? A little bit, yeah. We um. So here's a funny story to bring it full circle. You talk about the artists, the, the tribe, the community of artists. Today I'm at work, a young man who's an alumni of the program, and I know we'll talk about that more later, he's sitting there and he was telling me that his um, godfather is about to open up a um, photo gallery on Atlantic Avenue next month. And, you know, just for shits and giggles, I asked him, what's his godfather's name? And he said, Hayden Green. And I was like, why does that name sound familiar? I was like, how does he look? So he goes into his phone, he pulls up a picture. I know the dude. I know the dude because um, my second group was called the Cataclysm. We were a hip hop and spoken word fusion group. Um, out of the five, three did um, two or more things, be it hip hop, poetry, engineered, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I was the only pure MC, pure rapper, and it was one pure poet. The pure poet um, used to go to Cornell before he transferred to Nassau, then Hunter College, which is where I met him. Um, when we finished our album, he connected with his best friend from Cornell, who was the chapter um, president for the Sigmas um, Greek uh, fraternity up at Cornell. And they did like an annual, <clears throat> um, what they call Blue Week, um, where they had a series of events, uh, uh, open mic slash performance, party, whatever other community service events, series of things. So we went up as the beginning of our tour to Cornell and performed during Blue Week, and this gentleman... Um, Hayden Green, whose stage name at the time was Blue Lion, is a Sigma, was a part of that tour. He's from New York, from Brooklyn, I believe, um, but was part of that tour and also somebody who we ran into on the scene often because we spent a lot of time in spoken word venues more so than hip-hop venues. Wow. And so he's the godfather of a young man that I know. I haven't seen this man in over a decade. And so the minute he said his name, now it gets, it's so, this happens to me so frequently 
where it's like a two degrees of separation kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. I don't even get it. Get like I'm not even surprised anymore when it happens. So when the kid said, "This is my godfather," and I recognized him, I just was like, "Yep, this is not even." Yeah, you'd be surprising. like, "No doubt, no yeah. doubt." Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So your current project, mm-hmm. um, you. When I met you in twenty in twenty thirteen mm-hmm. at, at Bridget's show, you were you you were James so soon, mm-hmm. the sound of something out of nothing, mm-hmm. and that's the incarnation that you remain today, correct? Yeah. So what is the origin of, of the nexus of that? So there's career? a three step thing to that that I'll give you the short version of. Um, when I first thought about rapping, junior high, high school, my first my original stage name was J Skills. Don't remember exactly how I came up with it, but the J, my first initial, my first name. Skills, I like that, whatever. Um, as I started meeting people in the um, art scene, as I was hearing a lot of people who had um, some version of skills in their name. Mm. Um, underground artists who had much larger names on the scene than I did. People who might have had the same kind of you know influence that I did, whatever, whatever. Signed artists, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I'm like, this is too generic. I gotta come up with something that makes me stand apart. I'm a big fan of acronyms, and so what I started doing was playing around with like sound of soon um, and sound of this and you know whatever whatever. And then I ultimately came up with sound of something out of nothing because to me that's what um, hip hop culture, at least the music aspect of hip hop culture, is about. Is this idea of like people didn't have shit, but they found a way to make do. You know when when DJs came up. Um, oh my God! I hope that the old hip hop heads are don't. Um, listen and, and kill me for this, but the DJ who was credited with the scratch when he came up with that, um, you know, it was something that started off bef- uh, that be- even before he came up with that invention. Um, cool Herc did the 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 music merry-go-round where he was using two turntables with two of the same record. On these turntables turn and a microphone. Exactly. And going back and forth to extend the break beat. They and would, that didn't exist yeah. before Cool Herc started doing that. And so this was an invention of him taking his um, parents' records and ultimately buying his own and, you know, making something that didn't exist. And a whole genre of music and a whole culture developed out of people who didn't have anything when the Bronx was literally burning. I know you know about that history. I grew up in the Bronx. You know what I mean? And so... I, I just thought that my name, I wanted my name to reflect this history. And so that's wow. how I came up wow. with So Soon. Wow. Um, oh, and then the final part to that that I'll say is that um, now that I'm in, now that I'm a little older, but also into youth development and my primary audiences are like um, in academic settings. Um, I mean, I still go to traditional hip hop spaces as right. well, but now that I'm older and my work as a, um, a historian, as a um, youth developer, are so intrinsic to who I am as a person and as an artist. Depending on the venue I'm in, I'll get I'll give James So Soon Gant, so it represents me as you know a regular individual slash me as an artist all in one. And then if I'm like in a tradition, like I did a show Friday. Um, that was like in a hip hop space, so it's just like so soon in a space like that. So when the storytelling spaces, I know that that's generally an audience that's gonna be like twenties and up, and right. so in that space, you know, and you know, we don't have to get into all the stories about how hip hop is received in different places, but it certainly adds that kind of academic aspect to it that mm-hmm. I try to bring into. Um, conversations when I'm when I'm talking about who I am as an artist and trajectory, you know. That that's cool. So how how does music um, 
enhance or work with what you're doing for your day job now? And how did you fall into that? Because we all yeah. know we're working artists, mm -hmm. yep. and work being a working artist means you have a day job. <laughs> That's valid. And so I work for an organization called RealWorks, and we teach um, filmmaking to high school age students. The Ooh. goal is to identify students um, who don't have access to the arts in their schools or their communities. So you could be going to, like, for example, I'm not sure if they have access to the arts in Brooklyn Tech, but you could be going to a school that's as revered academically as Brooklyn Tech, but if they don't have access to arts, then you fit into the fold. So it's not just gotcha. about you know going into communities who are underserved. It's about if you're underserved with the arts, period, then you're fit for real works. So you're, you're a filmmaker also? I'm the after-school coordinator there. And oh, okay. I was able to do that because... Um, so what happened, like I was saying, um, kind of just go back a little bit. So I, I worked at AT&T from 2006 to 2010, lost my job, um, and, and without going into all the reasons why, the thing that I know without a doubt happened at that time in my life is that I was putting this energy into the universe saying that I wanted more time for my artistry. Mm. The universe pushed me out of the job, <laughs> and and it was a be scary what moment. You ask. Correct, and it was a scary moment, but I also was ready to embrace it because I was like, I know that this is the universe, and I just need to figure out what the next steps are. So it was like the reset button because I was comfortable with the money I was making. It was the first real, real job that I mm. made real money with, and it was comfortable. It allowed me to you know do some things, whatever, whatever. Anyway. Um, so I spent the next couple of years kind of doing odd jobs, cleaning, this, that, and the third, whatever, whatever. Um, but I also got connected to teaching artist work. And this was a thing that was, for me, fascinating because prior to that, I had never wanted to work with young people. I, you know, I'm from a small family, not a lot of, not raised around a lot of young people. So my mindset around of young people was always like seeing little bad kids in the street. I'm like, I don't want that. But I had an opportunity to do it and do it paid. And I had enough experience as an artist where I had something to give. And I, and I did it okay for the first couple of times. And so I started then doing some paid gigs as a teaching artist, some free ones. Eventually landed at, um, in 2014 um, at The Door, which works with underserved youth between 14 and 24. And I was able to work as a teaching artist there. And that was really a defining moment for me as a youth developer. Um, and that was like my first consistent job as a youth development individual. Um, and then fast forward to last year, um, it was time to go. I wasn't having opportunities to grow. And so I applied for this job and, and got hired pretty quickly. Um, and so that's how music um, connects because the experience as a teaching artist gave me the experience as a youth development individual. It all connects, huh? Exactly. And wow. so that's how I'm, wow. I'm now able. So like with my job, my current job, they're very intentional about every anybody hire. Well, not anybody, but almost everybody who's on staff has some sort of artistic practice. We're not all filmmakers, but a lot of them are. Right. But their mindset is that if you have the artistic practice, that when you're engaging with the young people, even if you don't really have the film lens, that still gives you a, 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 a insight and into right. guiding them yeah. when they're if they're coming and asking questions about how to you know do certain things in their films and so on and so and forth. And who knows what's going to be rubbing off on you next? Exactly. So, so is your voice your only instrument, or do you play any other instruments? My voice is my only instrument. Wow. Yeah. A little Pascal says that you are going to use your instrument. That you have a little uh, song to share for us, a little Indeed. piece of performance. Indeed. All right, let's get to it. Cool. Awesome. And tell us a little bit of the history about this piece. It, uh, um, so it's a new piece. Um, I'm a, um, it's from an album um, tentatively called Involuntary Immigrant. 
And it's basically from a theory that I learned about while writing my um, thesis and um, when I graduated from Goddard. Um, from a, the, the theory is from an anthropologist um, named John Agbu, who is now deceased, but he talks about this idea of um, voluntary minorities versus involuntary minorities. And so I, being an involuntary minority, because, you know, if you go generations back to slavery, my people were not, we didn't volunteer to come to the Americas from Africa. And so it's really just talking about my experiences as a black man in America. And so this song that I'm going to do is called Snow Glow. And the concept is that like with all this shit happening in society right now, um, sometimes I just want to like be, you know, by myself. I don't want to deal with it. You know what I'm saying? All the Trump stuff and all the Black Lives Matter stuff. And, you know, I just, I'm just like, oh, work, you know, the day-to-day -day relationships. Like, it's just sometimes it's like want to be secluded by myself, you know? So that's kind of what this song is about. So this is called Snow Globe. And I'm sure many that listen can relate. Listen, the lack of love, the lack of trust. I'm American, I'm never at a lack for lust. The lust for love, the lust for lust. Self-indulgence is at a surplus. The never-ending war, the conflict. My niggas in the prison industrial complex. The politics of politics. A lot of talk, no accomplishments. Global warming, the ice melts. So many tears from mother nature, she's crying help. The world is cold, the sky it fell. We up in heaven, getting high as hell. Self-medicating the pain, we can't take it. Obama called for change, my niggas still waiting. My hands up, I'm giving up. Behind on rent, but you don't give a fuck. I wish that I could live by my solo. No concerns in the snow globe. White falling on my nose like cocoa. It's just the snow from the snow globe. Shake it, the snow globe, shake it, the snow globe. No troubles in the snow globe. Shake it, the snow globe, shake it, the snow globe. No concerns in the snow globe. The prejudice, the ageism. Homophobia is the new racism. The terrorists at home and abroad. Mankind, huh, not so evolved. The mental health, the mental stress. Just had a teen tell me he's hella depressed. The economy, the mediocrity. We're all fucked, that's my philosophy. The water's tainted, the streets are laden with cops who use guns for paintbrushes. They not pop, poom poom, water paintings. Black and red, the shots, boom boom, landscaping. God forsaken, it's not you soon. Self-medicating, the pain, we can't take it. Obama called for change, my niggas still waiting. My hands up, I'm giving up. I'm innocent, but you don't give a fuck. I wish that I could live by my solo. No concerns in the snow globe. White falling on my nose like cocoa. It's just the snow from the snow globe. The snow globe. The snow globe. No troubles in the snow globe. Shake it. The snow globe. Shake it. The snow globe. No concerns in the snow globe. Cool. The snow globe. Shake it. Don't break it. <laughs> How long does it take to put a song like that together? Are those all found beats, or do you have people coming in recording no, each, um, this each is track? No, this is a collective project. So, we're, so we're this is like to, featuring this one, this one, that one, and the other one. There's only a few features vocally, but all the background music, the beats are all produced by one gentleman whose name is Mike L. Um, and so this is the first project that I'll release um, as a solo artist that is 
um, one producer throughout the whole project. Um, here's the, the full circle thing that you should know. So that first album that I said that I recorded back in um, 06 mm -hmm. that never was released. Um, actually, I'm taking three of the songs from that album and re-recording them to new beats because I always felt like a lot of that content is still very current. Um, I'm a little older now and I'm a little more aware of, you know, civically engaged, socially engaged, you know, so on and so forth. But that content is still very current. So this is a nine-track project. Six of the songs are newly written. Three of them are from that project that's now, you know, uh, 12 years old. Um, and then the hope is that once this project comes out, that that'll be like a bonus release, that old project. Oh, that's in its great. original form, I so you can hear the trajectory of that. I love bonus tracks. Yeah, but that first album, it was originally titled Three Sides to a Story, Side One, The Truth. That was also um, an album that was produced by one producer. And so full circle now, new producer, new music, a couple of um, old lyrics just being refreshed and put on new beats. And um, yeah. That sounds fantastic. Wow, you have to let me know when, when that when that I comes will. out. Please Absolutely. do. So if people want to hear or see some of your So Soon Fabulousness, where can they find you? So I have two solo albums under my belt in addition to all the group projects that I've been a part of. But um, my most recent um, solo album, Sound of Old New York, can be found on um, iTunes, uh, Tidal, all the digital streaming sites, Amazon, YouTube, um, Spotify, as well as Bandcamp if you want to spend money on it. And so if you type in so soon one word, that's really important because that makes it easier to find, um, you'll find my links. Um, if you type that on Tidal, Spotify, you'll find me as an artist. Um, same thing on um, if you do Bandcamp so soon, then you'll find me. Um, or so soon.bandcamp.com is the URL. And you'll also find my first solo album on my Bandcamp as well. Cool. Do you have a website? Um, it is not completed yet, but okay. the website is newsosoon.com. You can see a couple images of me and some maybe basic bio information. And uh, <laughs> you have social, IG, Twitter, yeah. Facebook. IG is so soon, Twitter, sir, so soon. So, so um, I asked this at, at the close of every interview. If um, you had one thing mm -hmm. to say to the child who is wanting to do more, yep. With their life and with, 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 with their soul, who, the child who was daring to have the audacity mm -hmm. to want to do more than society or the family or whatever constraints are upon them, yep. what would you tell that child? Find your passion. Find your passion. It's that simple. Um, the reason why I say that is because when you are in pursuit of your passion, you will certainly find other things along the way that you can either add to or that will help, you know, builds character, builds who you are, but if you pursue your passion or you pursue trying to figure out what your passion is, you won't let anything get in the way. I will give you a quick story to prove my point. Yeah. Um, when I first told my mom that I was rapping, she just thought it was a hobby. And at the time it was. Now here I am, 18 years later, having now rapped more than half of my life, and my mom sees that I get paid for it from time to time, but she also sees the trajectory of how I started to where I'm at now, and the places it's taken me. My music's taken me to other countries. My music's taken me to other states. I've actually been able to get my mom to Paris because of my music, and she's seen the successes, the young people, the people that I've inspired because of it, and now she understands that it's intrinsic to who I am. So, you know, 
but she wasn't necessarily in agreement of it when I first started doing it. So I say that to say, find your passion, don't, and no one will ever be able to get in your way. You won't be able to get in your way. This is such good advice. I feel like I'm in your class. James, <laughs> you missed us so soon. You are amazing. Thank you so much for being on Fish Out of Hog. Thank you for having me. It's been such an honor. Hug on the air! <laughs> we always I love love. With a hug on the air. Absolutely. Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. This is the album version of So Soon Snow Globe TV, which you just heard in his interview, and it's from his Involuntary Immigrant album in 2018. And you know what, kids? That's our show. We had a lot of guest artists talking about a lot of cool stuff, so we didn't want to interrupt. Next song is another song that uh, from So Soon with Mike L. It's called Sit With It, version 3, and it's also from the Involuntary Immigrant 
2018 album. Stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next, kids. And you know what? Put your clocks ahead on Sunday the 11th, and we'll see you next week. Woohoo! By the TV, reminiscing when it used to be easy. With a Christmas story on repeat, making my list for my nana, she's my genie. When I used to give a shit about a Christmas, Ninja Turtle G.I. Joe upon my wish list. Tell the cops stop acting like Cobra, is what I asked for Nicholas if he existed. Huh, here we go again, dealing with the same violence. We no longer have the option to remain silent, cause it don't make a difference if you stay quiet. This reminds me of my studies on the race riots. What am I supposed to tell my damn youth how to handle the blue man group? Even Olivia cannot resolve the scandal. Cause you can't indict what you can't prove. Sit with it, sit with it, sit with it, sit with the pain, sit with it, sit with it, sit with it. Let it run through your veins, sit with it, sit with it, sit with it, sit with the pain, sit with it, sit with it, sit with it, let it run through your veins. What am I supposed to tell my damn youth how to handle the blue man group? Another man with his hand on a handle only sees three-fifth of a man as he scans you. Another vigilante, another vandal, another cop with a slingshot to rubber band you. Another black soul born that you can't prove. Even camera phone evidence is unsubstantial. Another visual, another candle, another brother portrayed as an animal. Another brother portrayed as an animal. Different brother, same story, another channel. Another cop that's duty and Cancun, swimming trunks with the sand in the sandals. You a damn youth, that's the damn truth. As I'm holding back tears in this damn booth, trying to sit with it, sit with it, sit with it, sit with the pain, sit with it, sit with it, sit with it. Let it run through your.